0: Chapters twenty two and twenty three of the Women of the American Revolution, volume one by Elizabeth F. ellett This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty two Dicey Langston. The portion of South Carolina near the frontier, watered by the Pacolet, the Tiger, and the Ennery, comprising Spartanburg and Union districts, witnessed many deeds of violence and blood, and many bold achievements of the hardy partisans it could also boast its full complement of women whose aid in various ways was of essential service to the patriots so prevalent was loyalism in the darkest of those days so bitter was the animosity felt towards the whigs and so eager the determination to root them from the soil that the very recklessness of hate gave frequent opportunities for the betrayal of the plans of their enemies often were the boastings of those who planned some midnight surprise or some enterprise that promised rare pillage uttered in the hearing of weak and despised women unexpectedly turned into wonder at the secret agency that had disconcerted them or execrations upon their own folly the tradition of the country teems with accounts of female enterprise in this kind of service very few instances of which were recorded in the military journals the patriots were frequently indebted for important information to one young girl fifteen or sixteen years old at the commencement of the war this was dicey the daughter of solomon langston of Lawrence district he was in principle a stout liberty man but incapacitated by age and infirmities from taking any active part in the contest his son was a devoted patriot and was ever found in the field where his services were most needed he had his home in the neighbourhood and could easily receive secret intelligence from his sister who was always on the alert living surrounded by loyalists some of whom were her own relatives miss langton found it easy to make herself acquainted with their movements and plans and failed not to avail herself of every opportunity to do so and immediately to communicate what she learned to the whigs on the other side of the Anori river at length suspicion of the act of aid she rendered was excited among the tory neighbours mr langston was informed that he would be held responsible thenceforward with his property for the conduct of his daughter the young girl was reproved severely and commanded to desist from her patriotic treachery for a time she obeyed the parental injunction but having heard by accident that a company of loyalists who on account of their ruthless cruelty had been commonly called the bloody scout intent on their work of death were about to visit the elder settlement where her brother and some friends were living she determined at all hazards to warn them of the intended expedition she had none in whom to confide but was obliged to leave her home alone by stealth and at the dead hour of night many miles were to be traversed and the road lay through woods and crossed marshes and creeks where the conveniences of bridges and foot-logs were wanting she walked rapidly on heedless of slight difficulties but her heart almost failed her when she came to the banks of the Tiger, a deep and rapid stream which there was no possibility of crossing except by wading through the ford this she knew to be deep at ordinary times and it had doubtless been rendered more dangerous by the rains that had lately fallen but the thought of personal danger weighed not with her in comparison to the duties she owed her friends and country her momentary hesitation was but the shrinking of nature from peril encountered in darkness and alone when the imagination conjures up a thousand appalling ideas each more startling than the worst reality her strong heart battled against these and she resolved to accomplish her purpose or perish in the attempt she entered the water but when in the middle of the ford became bewildered and knew not which direction to take the hoarse rush of the waters which were up to her neck the blackness of the night the utter solitude around her the uncertainty lest the next step should engulf her past help confused her and losing in a degree her self-possession she wandered for some time in the channel without knowing whither to turn her steps but the energy of a resolute will under the care of providence sustained her having with difficulty reached the other side she lost no time in hastening to her brother informed him and his friends of the preparations made to surprise and destroy them and urged him to send his men instantly in different directions to arouse and warn the neighbourhood the soldiers had just returned from a fatiguing excursion and complained that they were faint from want of food the noble girl not satisfied with what she had done at such risk to herself was ready to help them still further by providing refreshment immediately though wearied wet and shivering with cold she at once set about her preparations a few boards were taken from the roof of the house a fire was kindled with them and in a few minutes a hoe cake partly baked was broken into pieces and thrust into the shot pouches of the men thus provisioned the little company hastened to give the alarm to their neighbours and did so in time for all to make their escape the next day when the scout visited the place they found no living enemy on whom to wreak their vengeance at a later period of the war the father of miss langston incurred the displeasure of the loyalists in consequence of the active services of his sons in their country's cause they were known to have imbibed their principles from him and he was marked out as an object of some revengeance a party came to his house with the desperate design of putting to death all the men of the family the sons were absent but the feeble old man selected by their relentless hate as a victim was in their power he could not escape or resist and he scorned to implore their mercy one of the company drew a pistol and deliberately levelled it at the breast of langston suddenly a wild shriek was heard and his young daughter sprang between her aged parent and the fatal weapon the brutal soldier roughly ordered her to get out of the way or the contents of the pistol would be instantly lodged into her own heart she heeded not the threat which was but too likely to be fulfilled in the next moment clasping her arms tightly round the old man's neck she declared that her own body should first receive the ball aimed at his heart there are few human beings even of the most depraved entirely insensible to all noble and generous impulses on this occasion the conduct of the daughter so fearless so determined to shield her father's life by the sacrifice of her own touched the heart even of a member of the bloody scout langston was spared and the party left the house filled with admiration at the filial affection and devotion they had witnessed at another time the heroic maiden showed herself as ready to prevent wrong to an enemy as to her friends her father's house was visited by a company of whigs who stopped to get some refreshment and to feed their wearied horses in the course of conversation one of them mentioned that they were going to visit a tory neighbour for the purpose of seizing his horses the man whose possessions were thus to be appropriated had been in general a peaceful citizen and mr langston determined to inform him of the danger in which his horses stood of having their ownership changed entering cordially into her father's design miss langston set off immediately to carry the information she gave it in the best faith but just before she started on her return home she discovered that the neighbour whom she had warned was not only taking precautions to save his property but was about to send for the captain of a tory band not far distant so that the liberty men might be captured when intent on their expedition before they should be aware of their danger it was now the generous girl's duty to perform a like friendly act toward the whigs she lost no time in conveying the intelligence and thus saved an enemy's property and the lives of her friends her disregard of personal danger where service could be rendered was remarkable one day returning from a whig neighbourhood in spartanburg district she was met by a company of loyalists who ordered her to give them some intelligence they desired respecting those she had just left she refused whereupon the captain of the band held a pistol to her breast and ordered her instantly to make the disclosures or she should die in her tracks miss langston only replied with the cool intrepidity of a veteran soldier shoot me if you dare i will not tell you at the same time opening a long handkerchief which covered her neck and bosom as if offering a place to receive the contents of the weapon incensed by her defiance the officer was about to fire when another threw up his hand and saved the courageous girl's life on one occasion when her father's house was visited on a plundering expedition by the noted tory captain grey with his riflemen and they had collected and divided everything they thought could be of use they were at some loss what to do with a large pewter basin at length the captain determined on taking that also jeeringly remarking it will do to run into bullets to kill the rebels Pewter bullets, sir, answered Miss Langston, will not kill a Whig. Why not? inquired Captain Grey. It is said, sir, replied she, that a witch can be shot only with a silver bullet, and I am sure the Whigs are more under the protection of Providence. At another time, when a company of the enemy came to the house, they found the door secured. To their demand for admission, and threats of breaking down the door, Miss Langston answered by sternly bidding them begone. Her resolute language induced the company to hold a parley, and the result was that they departed without further attempt to obtain an entrance. One more anecdote is given to illustrate her spirit and fearlessness. Her brother James had left a rifle in her care, which she was to keep hid till he sent for it. He did so by a company of liberty men who were to return to his father's dwelling. On arriving at the house, one of them asked the young girl for the gun. She went immediately and brought it. But as she came toward the soldiers, the thought struck her that she had neglected to ask for the countersign agreed upon between her brother and herself. Advancing more cautiously, she observed to them that their looks were suspicious, that for aught she knew they might be a set of Tories, and demanded the countersign. One of the company answered that it was too late to make conditions, the gun was in their possession, and its holder too. Do you think so? cried she, cocking it, and presenting the muzzle at the speaker if the gun is in your possession take charge of her her look and attitude of defiance showed her in earnest the countersign was quickly given and the men laughing heartily pronounced her worthy of being the sister of james langston after the war was ended miss langston married thomas springfield of greenville south carolina she died in greenville district a few years since of her numerous descendants then living thirty-two were sons and grandsons capable of bearing arms and ready at any time to do so in the maintenance of that liberty which was so dear to the youthful heart of their ancestor asterisk the preceding anecdotes were furnished by the honorable b f perry of greenville south carolina who received them from one of mrs springfield's family return to text the recollection of the courage and patriotism of mrs dillard is associated with the details of a battle of considerable importance which took place in spartanburg district at the green spring near berwick's Ironworks. the americans here gained great honour colonel clark of the georgia volunteers joined with captains mccall little and hammond in all about one hundred and ninety-eight men having received intelligence that a body of tory militia stated to be from two to five hundred commanded by colonel ferguson were recruiting for the horse service determined to attempt to rout them mills statistics of south carolina page seven hundred thirty eight return to text they marched accordingly and hearing that a scouting party was in advance of ferguson's station prepared to give them battle Colonel Clark, with his forces, encamped for the night at Green Spring. On that day the Americans had stopped for refreshment at the house of Captain Dillard, who was with their party as a volunteer. They had been entertained by his wife with milk and potatoes, the simple fare which those hardy soldiers often found it difficult to obtain. The same evening Ferguson and Dunlap, with a party of Tories, arrived at the house. They inquired of Mrs. Dillard whether Clark and his men had not been there what time they had departed and what were their numbers she answered that they had been at the house that she could not guess their numbers and that they had been gone a long time the officers then ordered her to prepare supper for them with all possible despatch they took possession of the house and took some bacon to be given to their men mrs dillard set about the preparations for supper in going backwards and forwards from the kitchen she overheard much of their conversation it will be remembered that the kitchens of the south are usually separate from the dwelling-houses. The doors and windows of the houses in the country, being often slightly constructed, it is also likely that the loose partitions afforded facilities for hearing what might be said within. Besides, the officers probably apprehended no danger from disclosing their plans in the presence of a lonely woman. She ascertained that they had determined to surprise Clark and his party, and were to pursue him as soon as they had taken their meal, she also heard one of the officers tell ferguson he had just received the information that the rebels with clark were to encamp that night at the great spring it was at once resolved to surprise and attack them before day the feelings may be imagined with which mrs dillard heard this resolution announced she hurried the supper and as soon as it was placed upon the table and the officers had sat down slipped out by a back way Late and dark as it was, her determination was to go herself and apprise Clark of his danger in the hope of being in time for him to make a safe retreat, for she believed that the enemy were too numerous to justify a battle. She went to the stable, bridled a young horse, and without saddle mounted and rode with all possible speed to the place described. It was about half an hour before day when she came in full gallop to one of the vedettes by whom she was immediately conducted to Colonel Clark. She called to the colonel, breathless with eagerness and haste, "'Be in readiness to either fight or run. "'The enemy will be upon you immediately, and they are strong.' In an instant every man was up, and no moments were lost in preparing for action. The intelligence came just in time to put the Whigs in readiness. Ferguson had detached Dunlap with two hundred picked-mounted men to engage Clark and keep him employed till his arrival. These rushed in full charge into the American camp, but the surprise was on their part they were met hand to hand with a firmness they had not anticipated their confusion was increased by the darkness which rendered it hard to distinguish friend from foe the battle was warm for fifteen or twenty minutes when the tories gave way they were pursued nearly a mile but not overtaken ferguson came too late for the frolic the business being ended clark and his little band then returned to north carolina for rest and refreshment for the whole of this enterprise was performed without one regular meal and without regular food for their horses mrs angelica knot widow of the late judge knot of south carolina remembers some illustrative incidents which occurred in the section where she resided with her aunt mrs potter near the Grindle shoal a little south of pacolet river the whig population in this portion of the state were exposed during part of seventeen eighty and seventeen eighty one to incredible hardships the breezes of fortune which had fanned into life the expiring embers of opposition to english tyranny had been so variable that the wavering hopes of the people were often trembling on the verge of extinction the reverses of the british arms had exasperated the loyalists and embittered the enmity felt towards the stubborn people who refused to be conquered such was the state of feeling when the destiny of the south was committed to the hands of a soldier of consummate genius in whom the trust of all was implicitly placed when tarleton was on his march against morgan just before their encounter at the cowpens a party of loyalists came to the place where mrs potter lived and committed some depredations they burned the straw covering from a rude hut in which the family lodged while a relative ill of the smallpox occupied the house mrs potter and her children had built this lodge of rails for their temporary accommodation the soldiers attempted to take off her wedding-ring which as it had been worn for years became embedded under the skin in the effort to force it from her finger they swore it should be cut off but finally desisted from the attempt on the same march tarleton encamped at the house of john beckham whose wife was the sister of colonel henderson of the continental army mrs beckham saw for the first time this renowned officer while standing in her yard and ordering his men to catch her poultry for supper she spoke civilly to him and hastened to prepare supper for him and his suite as if they had been honoured guests when about to leave in the morning he ordered the house to be burnt after being given up to pillage but on her remonstrance recalled the order all her bedding was taken except one quilt which soon shared the same fate at another time mrs beckham went to granby eighty miles distant for a bushel of salt which she brought home on the saddle under her the guinea appropriated for the purchase was concealed in the hair braided on the top of her head mrs potter was visited by the famous tory colonel cunningham commonly called bloody bill cunningham on one occasion with a party of two hundred and fifty men they arrived after dark and as green corn happened to be in season encamped by one of her fields fed their horses with the corn, built fires with the rails, and roasted the ears for themselves. At that time, the family lived chiefly on roasted corn without bread, meat, or salt. Hickory ashes were used with a small quantity of salt for preserving beef when it could be had. Leather shoes were replaced by woollen rags sewed around the feet, and of beds or bedding none were left. The beds were generally ripped open by the depredators, the feathers scattered, and the ticking used for tent-cloths. The looms were robbed of cloth found in them, and hence the women of the country resorted to various expedients to manufacture clothing, and preserve it for their own use and that of their friends. A family residing on the Pacalet built a loom between four trees in the forest and wove in fair weather, covering the loom and web with cowhides when it rained. Chapter 23 Elizabeth Steele the long arduous and eventful retreat of general green through the carolinas after the battle of the cowpens that retreat on whose issue hung the fate of the south with the eager pursuit of cornwallis who well knew that the destruction of that army would secure his conquests is a twice told tale to every reader the line of march lay through salisbury north carolina and while the british commander was crossing the Catawba, green was approaching this village with the american army were conveyed the prisoners taken by morgan in the late bloody and brilliant action the intention being to convey them to virginia several of these were sick and wounded and among them were some british officers unable from loss of strength to proceed further on the route general greene aware of the objects of cornwallis knew his design by a hurried march to the ford to cross the Catawba before opposition could be made and had stationed a body of militia there to dispute the passage most anxiously did the general await their arrival before he pursued his route the day gradually wore away and still no signs appeared of the militia and it was not till after midnight that the news reached him of their defeat and dispersion by the british troops and the death of general davidson who had commanded them his aides having been dispatched to different parts of the retreating army he rode on with a heavy heart to salisbury it had been raining during the day and his soaked and soiled garments and appearance of exhaustion as he wearily dismounted from his jaded horse at the door of the principal hotel showed that he had suffered much from exposure to the storm sleepless fatigue and harassing anxiety of mind dr reed who had charge of the sick and wounded prisoners while he waited for the general's arrival was engaged in writing the paroles with which it was necessary to furnish such officers as could not go on from his apartment overlooking the main street he saw his friend unaccompanied by his aides ride up and alight and hasten to receive him as he entered the house seeing him without a companion and startled by his dispirited looks the doctor could not refrain from noticing them with anxious inquiries to which the wearied soldier replied yes fatigued hungry alone and penniless the melancholy reply was heard by one determined to prove by the generous assistance preferred in a time of need that no reverse could dim the pure flame of disinterested patriotism general Green had hardly taken his seat at the well-spread table when mrs Steele, the landlady of the hotel entered the room and carefully closed the door behind her approaching her distinguished guest she reminded him of the despondent words he had uttered in her hearing implying as she thought a distrust of the devotion of his friends through every calamity to the cause money too she declared he should have and drew from under her apron two small bags full of specie probably the earnings of years take these said she for you will want them and i can do without them words of kindness and encouragement accompanied this offering of a benevolent heart which general green accepted with thankfulness Never, says his biographer, did relief come at a more propitious moment, nor would it be straining conjecture to suppose, that he resumed his journey with his spirits cheered and lightened by this touching proof of woman's devotion to the cause of her country. Asterisk Green's Life of Nathaniel Green, see also Foot's Sketches of North Carolina, page 355. Return to text. General Green did not remain long in Salisbury but before his departure from the house of mrs Steele, he left a memorial of his visit he took from the wall of one of the apartments a portrait of george the third which had come from england as a present from a person at court to one of mrs Steele's connections attached to an embassy wrote with chalk on the back o oh, george hide thy face and mourn and replaced it with a face to the wall the picture with the writing uneffaced is still in possession of a granddaughter of mrs Steele a daughter of dr mccorkle and may be seen in charlotte elizabeth steele was distinguished not only for attachment to the american cause during the war but for the piety that shone brightly in her useful life among her papers was found after her death a written dedication of herself to her creator and a prayer for support in the practice of christian duty with a letter left as legacy to her children enjoining it upon them to make religion the great work of life she was a tender mother and beloved for her constant exercise of the virtues of kindness and charity she was twice married and died in salisbury in seventeen ninety one. her son the hon john steele conspicuous in the councils of the state and nation was one whose public services offer materials for an interesting biography a collection of his correspondence has lately been added to the treasures of the historical society of the university of north carolina and it is to be hoped that under its auspices justice will be done to his memory at no distant period. Margaret, Mrs. Steele's daughter, was the wife of Reverend Samuel E. McCorkle. It was in the same pursuit of Green and Morgan by Cornwallis that the British destroyed the property of the widow Brevard in Center Congregation. She has seven sons in the rebel army, was the reason given by the officer for permitting her house to be burned and her farm plundered one of her sons captain alexander brevard took part in nine battles and the youngest was at seventeen first lieutenant of a company of horse ephraim brevard another son having graduated at princeton college and completed a course of medical studies fixed his residence at charlotte mr foote says his talents patriotism and education united with his prudence and practical sense marked him as a leader in the councils that preceded the convention held in queen's museum and on the day of meeting designated him as secretary and draughtsman of that singular and unrivalled declaration which alone is a passport to the memory of posterity through all time it will be borne in mind that it was in charlotte the county town of mecklenburg county that the bold idea of national independence was first proclaimed to the world on the nineteenth of may seventeen seventy five an immense concourse of people was assembled in this frontier settlement all agitated with the excitement which had plunged the whole land into commotion on that day came the first intelligence of the commencement of hostilities at lexington and when the convention and the people were addressed the universal cry was let us be independent let us declare our independence and defend it with our lives and fortunes the resolutions drawn up by dr brevard were discussed and by their unanimous adoption the day following by the convention and the approving multitude the citizens of mecklenburg county declared themselves a free and independent people due honour is awarded to him who took so active a part in that memorable transaction but where is the tribute that should be paid to the widowed mother who sowed the seeds which on that day yielded fruit who implanted in her son's mind those sterling principles the guidance of which rendered his life one of eminent usefulness when the southern states became the arena of war dr brevard entered the army as surgeon and was taken prisoner at the surrender of charleston in that city he was seized with a fatal disease to which he fell a victim after being set at liberty and permitted to place himself under the care of friends the deplorable sufferings of the unfortunate prisoners in charleston moved the sympathy of the inhabitants of western carolina for news came that many were perishing in captivity of want and disease the men could not go thither to visit their friends and relatives without ensuring their own destruction but the women gathered clothing medicines and provisions and travelled long journeys encountering danger as well as hardship to minister in person to those who so sorely needed their succour much relief was brought to the sufferers by these visits of mercy although the lives preserved were sometimes saved at the sacrifice of the noble benefactors the mother of andrew jackson returning to the Waxhaw after a journey to charleston to carry clothing and other necessaries to some friends on board the prison ship was seized with the prison fever and died in a tent in the midst of the wide sandy wilderness of pines her lonely grave by the roadside where the spot known would speak mournfully of woman's self-immolating heroism mrs jackson with her children had quitted their home on the wauxhall where she had buried her husband after the rout and slaughter of buford's regiment by the forces of tarleton when the women and children fled from the ravages of the merciless enemy they had found a place of refuge in sugar creek congregation where they remained during part of the summer part of the foundations of the log meeting-house where the congregation met for worship may still be seen other widowed mothers were there in north carolina who trained their sons to become zealous patriots and efficient statesmen the names of mrs flynn mrs sharp mrs graham and mrs hunter are worthy of remembrance the great principles proclaimed at the mecklenburg convention were acted out in the noblest efforts of patriotism by their sons mr carruthers the biographer of the rev david caldwell states that while all the active men in his congregations were engaged with the army at the battle of guilford court house there were two collections of females one in buffalo and the other in alamance engaged in earnest prayer for their families and their country and that many others sought the divine aid in solitary places one pious woman sent her son frequently during the afternoon to the summit of a little hill near which she spent much time in prayer to listen and bring her word which way the firing came from the southward or the northward when he returned and said it was going northward then exclaimed she all is lost green is defeated but all was not lost the god who hears prayer remembered his people End of chapters 22 and 23